my passion for film kind of influenced that kind of reporting that I did. Of like, it's not about like what it's like to be a black person in America. It's about mm-hmm. you know this situation that some black person had who happened to be black. Hi, I'm Brittany, and this is For Colored Nerds, the weekly show where we peel back the layers of Black culture we rarely discuss in mixed company. This week, we're talking all things race with NPR's Code Switch co-host, Gene Demby, and the newest addition to the Code Switch family, B.A. Parker. Parker and Gene aren't just accomplished journalists, they're friends of the show and friends of mine in real life, so I'm super excited to have them on today. Stay tuned to learn more about Gene's approach to reporting on race and to hear all about Parker's journey from film professor to podcast host. And don't go anywhere because later on, you'll hear Parker and Gene's hot takes on one of the most contentious topics online right now, how much it should really cost to get your hair did. That's right. We are absolutely going there today. You do not want to miss this. Tune in for my interview with Parker and Gene right after this short break. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Issa as host Issa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Parker, Jean, welcome to For Colored Nerds. I am so happy to have you guys here today. This is going to be so much fun. Hey, Brittany. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Brittany Luce. For people that may be listeners of this show who somehow aren't familiar with Code Switch, it just seems like it's just a, a straight up circle. How would you describe Code Switch? Code Switch is a podcast about race and identity. And really, it kind of means it's a podcast about everything because everything in America is about you can find a story about race or the way that race shapes, you know what I mean? The way some movie got made or some institution works or there's personal stories, it's big idea stories. We're trying to tell stories about this thing that is always confusing and always changing and in a way that's challenging to to all of our preconceived notions. So, Gene, you, you were part of the team that launched Code Switch as a vertical because it was like mm-hmm. an online written vertical before it was even a podcast. What lack in reporting on race did you hope to address by creating Code Switch? A lot of reporting you would see on race would just be like, Black person does a cool thing, Asian American person does a cool thing, a lot of stuff about like the importance of representation, but not a lot of stuff based in storytelling or just like sociological, right? It's like, what is the thing we're talking about here? Like, what are the systems at play? And so I still think that the tendency is to be like, a story about race is... Uh, Loretta Lynch becoming the first black female AG. And they would call it a race story. And it's not not a race story, but it doesn't tell you anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Mm-hmm. It's a story um, about a black person. 
Exactly. It's a story about a black person. And so, like, what we try to do is, like, we try to figure out, like, if there was a story behind that story, right? A story that was, like, told us something more useful about the way race works in America and, like, go beyond the representation stuff. Parker, before you worked in podcasting, Mm -hmm. you were a film professor at Morgan State University and HBCU, also your alma mater. Go Bears. um, As well as Stevenson Mm -hmm. University. Go Bears. (laughs) But you were also one of the biggest film buffs I know. Yeah. And you actually convinced me in a conversation last week because you, I, I won't, I, I'm not going to try and like make it sound like you were hyping up Tom Cruise because that was not what happened. I was not. But you, you did not do that. You did not, for the record, Parker did not do that. Your enthusiasm for what his types of movies do on screen, that actually encouraged me to go see Top Gun Maverick. It was worth my time. I'm not going to lie to you. How has your background in loving and teaching, writing film, influenced your reporting on race i mean it's been a it's been a blessing and a curse so much so as like as a person who's been obsessed with movies since i was born that can be the way that i relate to things like in the middle of a conversation about race i'm like oh it's like the ending of imitation of life like you didn't realize that the older black woman isn't appreciated until she's gone and everyone realizes how much she was a benefit to the community like things Mm -hmm. like like that's how i (laughs) <laughs> that's how I'll be mid-conversation in an interview with someone. It's also influenced my knowledge of media and just knowing mm-hmm. how people like us are represented in the outside Western world, you know? And mm-hmm. being conscientious of that in the stories that I tell. And I think it influenced this idea that I tried really hard to do for a long time is make happen-to-be stories. The story isn't about them being marginalized they just happen to be marginalized and there's a story about them mm-hmm. my passion for film kind of influenced that kind of reporting that i did of like it's not about like what it's like to be a black person in america it's about mm-hmm. you know this situation that some black person had who happened to be black that's actually a much healthier way of thinking about reporting on race <laughs> i think than trying to like explain mm-hmm. your experience to somebody i don't know it's like trying to explain <laughs> like what air looks like you know what i mean yeah it allows you not to other. There was like, I think there's an example that they teach now. It's like how you explain things on the radio to a person. You don't go, this is Marisol's quinceanera. <laughs> a quinceanera is a celebration for womanhood when you turn 15. No, it's like, you know, Marisol is really, really wants this guy to come to her quinceanera, but he doesn't show up. Like, it's two different yep, explanatory. The explanatory comma. Yeah. We coined that. We coined it. Because it was one of the things that we were trying to figure out. Like, our team is still mostly people of color. It's almost all people of color, actually. And it was since uh-huh. the beginning. And we took a code switch story. Mm-hmm. Whether it was a reported piece that I did for the, for the website or there's a reported piece that Shireen did for the radio, we're assuming that the audience is going to get a bunch of our references. But the NPR audience is like 55 years old and like 90% white. And like, or at least, th- least that's what it was when we launched, right? And so they had two they had two master's degrees. Mm-hmm. Like NPR's audience was so different than both who we were, right? And also mm-hmm. like who we were trying to get to that sometimes we sort of bristled at the having to do the quinceanera thing and be like, a quinceanera is what happens. You know what I mean? Like we, yeah. so we had a whole episode. It was yeah. actually one of our like first really controversial episodes. It's like, do we need to explain stuff to white people? She writes, and this is a condensed version of her email. Mm-hmm. I'm a podcast subscriber to Code Switch and I really enjoy your show. I just listened to the segment on Tupac. This particular show felt like an insider's look at a beloved entertainer. I feel kind of sad now because I felt like throughout the segment, I was looking in through the window. I wasn't ever invited inside. I can see that you love Tupac, but you never helped me to love him. 
I'm disappointed. So, Shereen, there's obviously a lot of stuff going on in that letter, um, mm-hmm. a lot of expectations you had. But for our purposes, it got us wondering, when is it appropriate for us to explain stuff that we think people should know? And when is it appropriate for us to just let people figure it out in context? And how right. do you decide when to let people just look through the window? And it was interesting because um, a lot of people were like, well, let's say I'm an immigrant, right? Like, I, I don't have all these cultural references. Like, I actually do want y'all to give me some context clues. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I actually do want y'all to do some, you know what I mean? And like, mm. like a lot of white people were like, it's good that y'all not explain this stuff because like, we should have the experience of sitting and not knowing and having to figure it out. He's like, obviously people of color had to do that their whole lives. Like, you know what I mean? I knew more about white people shampoos. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just from watching commercials growing up. Then they knew about, you know, like the, white people were always so perplexed about black hair, but like, you know what I'm saying? That's so true. You know, Parker, going back, talking to you about how having film as not just like a narrative medium that feels native and really close to you, but also just thinking in terms of stories as opposed to in terms of like explaining things. Mm. Mm. You know, you've reported lots of stories about race over the years or blackness even, black people stuff over the years. Um, Like you did a piece about a Baptist church in Harlem that became a European tourist Mm -hmm. spot uh, for This American Life. Tourists critiqued the church online, writing reviews on websites like Yelp and TripAdvisor. Some were fine, saying they loved the experience and thanked the church for welcoming outsiders. Others were not so nice. Quote, the music was loud, repetitive, and vacuous. Churches to elevate us to God, not bring him to human level. Two stars. From France, this is a scam. The children singing are circus animals. One star. From Italy. Don't choose this place if you are expecting the gospel style of Sister Act. One star. And you also did a story for the Cut podcast that admittedly I I was on about whether or not the poster for one of your favorite movies is racist. Honestly, it's not great. You see sort of this like angel general figure with like the very typical Sambo face with like the bulging eyes, the black skin, gigantic red lips like meant to seem... I suppose, comical in some way, shape, or form. Okay, she's making it sound bad. Because it is bad. The angel and the devil both have huge white round eyes and very red lips and very dark round faces. Classic blackface stuff. But there could be ways around it. If I put the poster on my wall, maybe that's reclaiming it. Transforming a reminder of trauma or heaviness. One of the things I've always loved about your reporting on race is that your stories tend to include like this strong element of absurdity. Yes. Absurdity, sometimes humor, but like absurdity mm-hmm. alongside the ugliness of racism or navigating that in unexpected ways. Why is that tonal mix so present in your work? My therapist will probably call that a defense mechanism, but... <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's not on purpose. It's just how I process ridiculousness. I mean, if, if as a Black woman in America, if I didn't have some gallows humor about it, I wouldn't make it through the day. <laughs> so, I mean, so the, the stories that I've told have just been me just trying to navigate foolishness. And in order to not be absolutely frustrated or angered by it, I just find levity in it. Hmm. I think actually what I'm connecting to when I listen to your stories is like sometimes stuff is like like sometimes stuff is kind of funny to me though. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like sometimes like if somebody I had somebody yell some 
something racist at me out of a car driving by. And it was just like, is a hoopty. I'm just like, well, how are you going to call me, you know, a nigga bitch? Oh. <laughs> It's just ridiculous, right? Um, and you can sort of laugh yeah. it off and be like, and tell about it, live about it later. It, like, there's no injury in it. It's outside of like, damn, I was mine off. You know what I mean? Just, like, there's like aggravation. Like, oh, man. But it is kind of funny. But then a lot, you know, it's weird. Like, sometimes I feel like a lot of that stuff gets collapsed. You know what I mean? Like, because a lot of mm. the most random racist shit that's happened to us, not that we should be quoting Chappelle at this moment, but like, Always talk about like so much of your response is like you like turn to somebody like damn that, you like that was kind of bananas that was racist that, y'all saw that right that was racist just sort of like, <laughs> yeah and that's like as far as it goes right it's like you know you're not necessarily traumatized by it. a substantial amount of racism and just like I know this motherfucker ain't just throw something at me you know what I mean just like oh wait this is interesting because I I realized because mm-hmm. I go to movies and like plays a lot by myself and I realized mm-hmm. I don't like going with people because it becomes a whole thing and it stresses me out. The last time I went to a movie with a group was a couple of weeks ago and I got there early and they were running late and they were all non-black. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I can't go into the movie because you have the, the ticket. And if I try to do anything, I'm going to get yelled at by the usher. Like, yeah. like white ushers mm-hmm. tend to yell at me if I'm with a group because sometimes they don't think I'm with the group. So then I'll get I'll get like mm. moved to the side, but like I need to see your ticket. Like no, my tickets with them. It's like a, it's like a whole thing because I'm the black person, mm-hmm. and I was like I don't feel like having to explain this, and also just like ushers are ridiculous people. I say this is a former usher, but like this is it's, they're ridiculous <laughs> people. And they're trying to do their job, but they are sometimes can have a, a race problem. You know, let's switch gears a little bit. You know, Gene. You recently have become a dad. Congratulations. Thank you. Congrats, congrats, congrats. You've opened up on Code Switch about how becoming a father has changed a little bit how you think about race. Like uh, from how you pass on aspects of your identity that you want to share with your child Mm -hmm. to the fact that your child will both share a lot of aspects of your identity, but also will be identifying with a culture that's completely different than the one that you came up Mm -hmm. in and that you come from as well. How has this change, becoming a father, affected your approach to doing your job. Mm. How do you think about the show differently now? I was telling this to just one of our producers. I was talking to him yesterday. And one of the things that became really legible to me almost immediately after, like as soon as my son was born, was like, because mm-hmm. so much of the stuff I would report on for Coast would be like about things like housing segregation. I bring that up to say that like NIMBYism, right? This idea that you would like, want to just hold oh, not in my backyard all, yeah. exactly like we want to hoard all this stuff to protect your kid to make the world as safe as possible for them it's suddenly I, it's still fucked up i don't think it's not fucked up but i just suddenly could understand it was like legible to me mm. right like mm. um and so we just ran this series called school colors um which is about this big yeah. fight over the integration of schools or trying to diversify the schools in queens you know supposedly the most diverse place in the world county in the country yeah, most, yeah, the worst yeah. county in the country and the most like one of the most diverse places in the world but you got you know uh-huh. it's near city so the schools are mass segregated and so like uh-huh. one of the things that's like much more legible to me is like you if you have if you're somebody who has never interrogated your politics right you're, just, you're like oh just you know like i'm moving along and you have a kid suddenly a lot of your worst impulses get activated you know what i mean you start to be like this dude's behind my house i'm mm-hmm. um, drinking and smoking all the time let me call the cop you know what i'm saying like all this stuff that you might not if you've not if you haven't thought about this stuff at all and thought about what that stuff means, the idea that mm. your kids could be in danger or that they might not get 
the best of everything or somebody might, you know what I mean? Like in any way, suddenly you're like, oh, well, let yeah. me just weaponize all the stuff I can weaponize. You know what I'm saying? Suddenly I was like, do we need to, like, even the most ri- the most ridiculous thing is sort of like, do we need to have a gun in the house? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, I, of course, and I, and if you, t- I, I can tell you, like, I'm like a, you know, we all know, like, if you got a gun in the house, it's more dangerous to use, more dangerous to, the pe- yeah. you, know, you know what I'm saying? But it's like the kind of thing that goes to your head, like, there's nothing I would not do for this person. <laughs> and so if you have uninterrogated politics, that takes you to some really ugly places, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, like, me and my wife um, have had to talk really openly about, like, we were never going to send our kid to private school, but we had to be like, we're, like, let's be clear, like, we're not doing this, right? You know what I mean? Like, there's all these ways um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that you just start the that kind of, like, resource hoarding, that kind of, like, and a lot of stuff, you know, and we know that stuff is all, is, is like, racist. Like, one of the things that happened right before we had our baby was that we bought a house, it's still in D.C., um, and it's in a black and Latino neighborhood. And I went on next door, which you should never do. Never go on next door. It's a mistake. <laughs> I don't. Um, and I don't do I've never been to next door. Oh, don't do not. Do not. Do it. They, they will make you think somebody is waiting outside of your door with an AK, ready to take the... Oh, is it like with the Citizen app? Because that stresses me out. Just people were always like, you know, complaining about the, the kids on the corner and stuff like that. And I realized... You know, because it's D.C., like, the people in the, most of the people in the app in my neighborhood are, like, old black homeowners. You know what I'm saying? Like, the people who are, like, we need the police to come through are, like, old black people. You know what I mean? Or black people who, for whatever reason, know that if they say we need more cops in our neighborhood, that the cops are not going to land on them. You know what I'm saying? Like, because they're church ladies or whatever it is. They don't, you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. one of the things that became really clear to me, there are cops all over my neighborhood. Me and my son are going to have experiences with them because they're everywhere and Mm -hmm. i know that there's a lot of people for whom like the presence of the police would be something that would like make them less stressed but the sort of i'm the presence of the cops in my neighborhood makes me really scared like very very scared and it was one thing to be scared for me you know what i'm saying but it's another thing to be scared for your child it's made my feelings around these questions about policing right like feel a little bit more urgent and it's also made a lot of class stuff more clear to me you know what i mean because like Mm. One of the things I really, really want to interrogate is this sort of divide between the black people who are criminalized in, in black neighborhoods and the black people who are availed themselves of the police. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think that's like a story we don't tell nearly enough because mm. um, we know about like white Karens, right? We know about the lady in Central Park who called it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like, yeah, <laughs> like the reality is, the people who had the policemen they look a lot like my mom. You know what I'm saying? They old church ladies. Yeah. Who, you know, want them dudes off the corner. Mm-hmm. And like one day, my kid might be. One of them little boys on the corner. You know what I'm saying? That's interesting. That is interesting. Because, like, conversely, like, I have the same kind of, not same, similar issue, but, like, I, you know, I did a story where I legit just wanted to know what was the point of the police. Like, I don't understand the purpose of the police. Yeah, seriously. I'm like, what's a great question. question. Like, what do they do? (laughs) And then I, I was telling, like, older black people, like, you know, within my community that I was trying to figure out. And it was like, well, of course the police are there to to protect you. Like you're asking the wrong question, or like, <laughs> and I was like, no, like, like no, you don't understand. Like this quote unquote, like the respectability politics is supposed to protect me, but it doesn't. I have been mm-hmm. stopped by the police for wild things. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, it doesn't make a difference. And so having. Like those generational conversations still after like, no, you understand. Like I interviewed him. I interviewed a man. He was white and he was almost stabbed to death by a serial killer in the police watch. And I was like, 
that's what they do. It's okay. Like, like I can't. <laughs> like, if, if this big white man ain't going to get protected, you know they ain't worried about my ass. Like, exactly. I'm excited to hear how that's going to come out in the reporting. And I'm also excited to hear y'all reporting together because I know you both individually and now you're working together, which makes my heart sing. Oh. At the time of recording, I have yet to hear you both on mic together. And so I'm really looking forward to that. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. We can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I want to kind of get into not a game, but a structured discussion uh, based around something that I've heard um, on Code Switch, the podcast. So the description for your podcast, Code Switch, is the fearless conversations about race you've been waiting for. Great log line, by the way. Uh. And I want to play with that a little bit because, you know, sometimes y'all have those Ask Code Switch episodes. Mm-hmm. I have conversations that I've been waiting for. Fearless conversations about race that I've been waiting for. Okay. And, you know, we talk about black culture on this show, but y'all really report on race. So I'm going to come to two of you with my pressing racial questions and you guys can answer them. So the first question. Okay. Recently, Damon Young of the Washington Post published an essay about the cost of haircut. And the gist of the essay is in the title. Haircuts were $10. Now they're $40. They should be more. It's a good, it's a pretty good title. Mm-hmm. I got my attention. Absolutely. So I, I also feel like you can't even casually scroll any social media platform at this point without coming across a scuffle over the cost of getting your hair braided or getting a silk press mm-hmm. or a haircut. Two questions. How much should a basic fade haircut cost? And I'll say, I'll say, 
the three of us each live in large coastal Expensive cities. Expensive cities, yeah. Park and I Brooklyn. Gene, you're in D.C. How much should a basic fade haircut cost, number one? And number two, how much should waist-length poetic justice box braids cost? <laughs> Why? Go. Parker, you're up because I can see. All right. So I don't know. I can't speak about the the fade situation. That's I feel like that's a, maybe a gene question. But braids, listen, mm-hmm. I have yet to pay for braids because I'm scared. And so I've been. Do you do them? Do them myself. I during during lockdown, oh, I bought a bunch of hair and did a YouTube tutorial and watched that a couple what? of times. So like my headshot is braids that I did of myself. Is that I'm googling it right now? What are you serious? Yeah. So I'm still. That's crazy. Well, because uh, I had to do learn you know how to sew. No, do you crochet. This is not my ministry. I'm too scared to like put myself out there to go to a hairdresser <laughs> and be <laughs> like. It blow it out because no no then there's all these rules they're like some people like your hair needs to be washed and blow dried and flat ironed before you go to the hairdresser to put the braids in and then they're they're like if i have to do that that's like an extra two hundred dollars or something and then it's like we got and then you know we don't know how long take if your hair is thicker then it's going to cost more yeah, and I was like, "Who who made these rules?" And so I'm just really scared to put myself out there and do that because I know I'm going to get my feelings <laughs> hurt. Um, I, I have seen like I have seen like on Instagram some of these uh, ladies have been like, "It's going to cost up to a thousand dollars," and unless I'm getting like some like Tony Braxton micros from 1998, I don't understand why. <laughs> It costs a thousand dollars. I remember I thinking when I cut off all my hair, because perms when I was in my early twenties in New York were like one twenty five, and I was like, I'm for a perm. Yes, I was like, I am a grad student and broke as hell. Don't do that to me. So I thought if I cut off all my hair, it would be cheaper. It is not cheaper to maintain that, but no. um, hmm. yeah, I just feel like braids. I'm not not to judge someone's uh, job and their skill level because if you're talented and you have a skill, you should not um, waste it for free. But also, like anything over five hundred feels too much. I myself personally, I've had my hair braided with box braids like three times because my scalp has been so free for so long, like never pulled in any direction. I have become tender headed as an adult, which I was welcome not as a child, and now. Yeah. And now it's like, I can't do anything. So I should learn how to do my braids. But that's interesting. But yeah, I don't get my hair braided that often, uh, but I'm happy to pay my stylist whatever she charges because, you know, she's it's always like a clean, beautiful luxury environment. She uses luxury products. She does a great job. Um, she's always on time. I'm always the only person that she's seeing in the salon when I go. Um, and so I don't have a problem paying for it because, you know, I'm I'm getting a really lovely service. I mean, but not everybody who's charging those prices is offering that same level of service. I have like complicated feelings about braids because I've been seeing a lot of people on Twitter talk about how they think that braids should still cost a hundred. They're like, braids cost $120 when I was in college. They should cost that. that and, and now people want $500. And I'm like, well, you were in college. Like, like we got inflation. Yeah. Huh? I was like, you were in college like 20 years ago. Like, I don't know if the prices is like McDonald's dollar menu does not exist anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah, they don't they only have about three items <laughs> of the dollar menu now. You you have to help. <laughs> I am in a similar place where I'm like, I don't know if your average box braids should be 
$1,000. There are certain like certain things where it's like if someone's using specific products or human hair or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, there, I don't know about $1,000, but I can understand braids costing quite a bit. But some people are mm-hmm. like, I don't want to pay $500, $600 to get human hair goddess locks that are the size of Zoe Kravitz's braids. And I'm like, well, that's like a 10-hour process. Tiny. They're small as hell. You're using human hair, which is expensive. And that's like a really long process. I'm like, you wouldn't go to your job. Carpal tunnel is real. That's the other thing is some of these braiders get injuries. Yeah, it feels like a lot of this is about the labor, right? Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like if you, if you. So it's about labor. Like if y'all are doing, if y'all, so if you're a hairdresser and like, all right, Parker rolls in and she decides to like shell out some money for, get her hair braided. That's going to be like. The only thing that um, hairstylist does, no. that woman bring your hair all day. She's not getting another hair in the chair, right? Like maybe, I mean, some, sometimes you always hear about people like they overbook, you know what I'm saying? But like, no, they're not doing max more than two heads a day. Like, and two heads, like if we're talking about like, they're working late into the night. So like, it feels like part of what they're trying to do is like, if I'm only doing one head, I got to like actually extract all of the, it has to cost money because I'm actually, you know what I mean? Whereas barbers, they, you know, they might think about do that. 15 dudes, like, in the course of, or 15 people, I guess, you know? Like, it's a whole day. So I feel like you're paying for, you got to pay for, like, yeah. the labor. You know what I mean? Because it has to, it's going to be expensive just because they can't, they're not doing Wait, a lot of volume. The haircut you know I mean? thing, though. Gene, what, what is this, what's the haircut situation? Like, how much do you think a haircut should cost? So... The big caveat here is you know, I'm bald on top, so I haven't paid for a proper mm-hmm. fade in a long time. I just get a, a baldy and a, um, mm-hmm. a shape up of my beard. My old barber shop, which I stopped going to because it turned out that my barber is an anti-vaxxer and he said a couple homophobic yeah. things that I can't, I can't rock with you. But I've been going to him for like years, like years. And the, the, then it just became, this is, I was like, this is untenable. A, a baldy with a, with mm-hmm. a, um, and a beard shape up was like $20. But I've been going to him for years, so Ooh. I always gave him like a... Um, like I always just mm-hmm. Venmoed him yeah. like forty five. Like I just gave him a huge tip. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I know like a fade is up. Like a, if you a fade where the tip was probably gonna be around forty forty five dollars. Wait, but Gene, are they giving you the full experience? Yeah, I was gonna ask. Like, like, because my husband gets facial sometimes, and like he gets a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Man, like when I got married, wow. I did that whole experience, and that was like. That was like seventy five dollars, and I was like, "Oh, this is dope." And also, this is I can't do. This. <laughs> no, I, wait, I, I, I wait, no, that sounds cheap. With extractions, at a decent place, it's at least hundred twenty bucks for just a straight up facial. Wait, we out here getting pink tax on a tax. facial? I would think it'd be the other way around. Facial, and then also get my hair cut, and you know whatever styled. I mean, that's easily before tip. That's five hundred dollars. This is a very fucked up pink tax. We need to talk about it, especially because those are all beauty services that women are actually expected to perform on a regular basis. Whereas you were saying, Gene, Mm -hmm. that that was something that you did for your wedding. And many men don't do things like that for their wedding anyway. So we need, this is. Yeah. I would do it more often. I mean, you know, the pandemic, you know what I'm saying? But like after my wedding happened in 2019. And so I was like, oh, this is about to be part of my, (laughs) I might have to like go (laughs) to this cat. For $75, you can't. And then. Yeah, yeah, you can't exactly. That's... I can't get my fucking nails done for seventy five dollars. So y'all gotta pay literally drop like nearly a stack to get yeah <laughs> to get all of your. That's why I'm in podcasting over the course of days. This is why I'm, this is why I'm doing braids in my exactly. living room. Gene. Exactly. Well, this is helpful. <laughs> Scientifically, this is helpful. I have another question that's been on my mind. We've established you all have reported extensively about race. 
obviously you both have continued to report about race during the past two years. And we supposedly, I've been invited to the conversation, but supposedly we've been having this national conversation about race. I did. I, again, I did not get the <laughs> calendar invite. Have we? Y'all are in the know about what's going on. Okay. Y'all hear a lot of conversations that others aren't privy to. What's the conversation about race you never want to have again? Ooh. Oh, okay. I'll tell you what happened. Friends and friends and I went to a bar like a month ago and all of a sudden, it was a, it was crowded. Long story short, there was like a, a Magnum PI party where everyone was Wait, dressed what? with like. There was like everyone. We were sitting in there by ourselves, and all of a sudden, a group of like white people in Hawaiian shirts and fake mustaches came in. It was a very intense party that we were not a part of. We were just <laughs> in the back area of the bar. Anyways, drunk white woman asked like, "Is this seat taken?" And I was like, "Oh no, I'm actually going to take the seat." Like, she's going to take it with her. Like, no, she sat down with us. Mm. And I was like, oh, no. And she was like, this, she's like, your table just seems really cool. And the, the table mm-hmm. met, was full of women of color. And I was like, oh, that's why it seemed really cool. And then she's like, I'm from Iowa. And I didn't know that there was racism until I moved to the Bronx. And I was like, oh, good for you, honey. So I just... I, Conversations about race, I don't have that often, but unsolicited white people talking to me about their feelings about mm, race, I could I like that one. without. <laughs> like unsolicited shenanigans from white people or not. Let me just tell people. you now, Parker, like <laughs> in this job, that's going to be. Let me just tell you. I know. You, like for know. A, a solid year, like in 2020, so much of my Twitter was just like, yo, y'all, y'all got to stop. Like it was just literally just like white people who were like, were having their awakenings, you know what I mean? And like, well, I mean, you're the you cover this stuff. Why shouldn't I ask you? And I was like, like that's about to be your life. I got like a happy Juneteenth <gasps> DM from a white person because of you know because of some I'm known for some of my race stories or uh, like it's Black okay, History Month. Well, thinking of you. Thank you, white lady from. Hopefully Texas. that ends. All I right. feel like based upon what Jean said, it's not going to. Mm-mm. But I I'm praying for you, Parker. I wish you the best. Um, Jean, what is a conversation about race Wait, but Jean... that you don't want to have ever again? All right, so on Twitter yesterday, and I shouldn't be referencing Twitter because it's, it's, the, it's the worst, but <laughs> yes, you know the, the whole pink, pink sauce, sauce situation? This girl yeah. selling pink ranch dressing out of her house or maybe out of a commercial kitchen. Was it even ranch dressing? I don't, it looked like I mean, pink it was, ranch it sounded dressing. Even... It looked nasty. It's changing colors. It like. I can't even it's changing it's colors. because the pictures are too nasty, but yes. It's disgusting. She was sent out to the world, you know what I mean? And like people were getting sick, understandably, because she she just literally was making her house. She like, it wasn't Mm -hmm. FDA like approved. It wasn't refrigerated. She was sending to people. People was getting sick. Anyway, (laughs) there was this tweet that everybody was dunking on, as they should have. But there was a tweet that this woman was like, see, black women who are entrepreneurs always got to be twice as good as everybody else. And this is why y'all dragging this woman, blah, blah, blah. And I really feel like. It is kind of embarrassing that in 2022, we're still talking about black small business owners and black business owners and black business general as like this south for things. Like there's a whole universe about that just like inherently, what even does it mean to have a black owned business, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like if you own three McDonald's and you're a black dude, you're a black, you are, (laughs) those Mm -hmm. are black owned businesses. But like, it doesn't tell you anything about the black workers yeah. who work there. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't tell you about like the, the conditions they live under. But like we, we feel good when we like, oh, I support this black business. And I was like, yo, what the fuck does that even like? What is this doing? Right? Like, how much of this thirty dollars I spent is trickling down into the pockets of a black worker? Yeah. Or like, you know what I'm saying? And like, there's all this discourse 
around black small businesses. There was there's this woman named Marsha Chatlin who I'm kind of like mildly uh-huh. obsessed with her writing. She wrote this very, very good uh-huh. book that won a Pulitzer about the history of black yeah. McDonald's. <laughs> and it's really a, a really secretly is about black McDonald's and black fast food ownership, but it's really mm-hmm. a history of black capitalism. And one of the things she kept pointing out was like, look, like whenever black people say we need better schools, we need more justice in the world, we need uh, less violence by the police, we need better housing, we need all these things. The response from big institutional players is always, here you go, here go some black businesses. And it never addresses any of the stuff that people ask for. But people love that. Like, Target will be like, we are supporting black businesses. It's like, yeah, okay. I'm, like, it's, just, it's like a, a, a weird kind of propaganda what does that mean? campaign. And I always want to be like, okay, so what are we talking about here? What are we talking about here? Like, I feel like it's wild that in 2022 we're still talking about black businesses as a solution to anything. They're like they're neutral at best, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? They might they might make a couple of black people really rich, whatever, but like we keep talking about them as if this will fix all this other stuff that's unrelated to them. And the fact that this lady was saying like people are coming for this black small business owner because she's a black woman, black businesses have to be twice as good to blah blah blah. And it's like, okay, you're making a bad argument in defense of a really Terrible product. disgusting product, but also um, <laughs> we kind of have to divest ourselves from the, the sort of like the grind. Yes. You know what I'm saying? People just grinding and like, you know what I mean? Yes. And financial freedom and all this stuff. Oh, my cousins are really big <laughs> on this. Oh my God. All this stuff though. And they got those signs yeah, that are like grind. House. It is literally in my cousin's living room at Thanksgiving. It's bananas. And I was like, wait. Yes. It's like the live, laugh, love yeah. producer with red 48 Laws of Power. You know what I'm saying? Like, or whenever something happens in the world, a black person gets killed by the police, whether it's like Breonna Taylor or George Floyd, whether we're talking about, you know, some giant calamity, right? Somebody will always say, this is why we need to own our own stuff. People say it like it's magic. Like, okay, as soon as black people own all this stuff, this stuff will get fixed. No one ever like explains how that's supposed to work. We just, we just supposed to just like understand it as true. And I just, I never want to get another pitch from another company. I know I'm going to get them like about mm-hmm. like the importance of in this moment, in this historic moment the importance of supporting black businesses like it just it doesn't have anything to do like a 90 dollar hbcu sweatshirt <laughs> is going to put a community center back well in i mean that's definitely giving me a window into what i can expect from having you all co-host code switch but real quickly what can we expect from this new iteration of the show Ooh, a lot of me pestering gene about things that i'm i'm really curious about like i think i just randomly slacked um gene yesterday like how does byron <laughs> allen get his money <laughs> oh my god you don't, you don't know who byron when she, allen when is she, when she's she t- uh, slacked me that i was like parker this has been a running conversation in my group Let's text see. with my boys for oh, years him. where's this dude getting his money byron allen he's like a, a older black bald black man he's like always doing press junkets interviewing people he has like a like a he career- bought a black he's news channel out of bankruptcy? Like very perky Yes. For yes, he owns the oh, weather channel. Weather channel. Weather channel. He makes, and I have no idea where he gets his money from. If I could do an in-depth story with Gene about this, yes, I it's so so bananas. Like literally. like late nights on the weekends, you will always what? see him like interviewing at two a.m. on the weekend. Random celebrities, random or like show. they'll have like a group, like a round table of comedians, just telling their jokes that they've already pre-planned. Oh, well, I know who he is. Do you know I thought he was about three or four different people because he's so fucking busy. He be buying so many companies. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know this was the same guy. I think that the next code switch needs to be, I think y'all need to do an investigative report about this pink taxing of women's beauty services. <laughs> and I think mm. y'all also need to, yes. where is Byron Allen getting his money from? <laughs> 
I think one of the things that happens on Code Switch a lot is that, you know, like, Shireen would get really personal and she could, like, like humanize stuff in, a, like, in this very uh-huh. particular way, which I miss, right? Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I don't like to talk about my life. And I could be sort of, like, heady and, like, let's talk about these big institutional things. But, like, the thing that Parker brings that I'm really excited about is, to your point, like, the absurdity. Like, I just want... In our first conversation that we had the other day for the show, it was like, yo, like, let's... Do, I, like, I, I take me in, take me to weird places, you know what I mean? Like, let's be partners in weird. I will get in my little mm-hmm. sidecar and you <laughs> drive us to some weird shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of these stories... Like, race is an absurd thing. It is ridiculous. Like, the moment you start to pick at it, like, it's like, it both matters in a lot of ways. And what the moment you start to pick at it, it's like, this don't make no sense. Like, none of this... None of this like the fact that people have arranged their world we have arranged our world no yeah. we haven't but you know what I'm saying like the world is arranged this way is a ridiculous yeah. thing and the way that shit pops up is always like surprising like on a human level it's like th- these two people are interacting in this way that is completely shaped mm-hmm. by this thing and now everyone is talking past each other and all oh, it's just yeah I think I'm excited to see where Parker how much weirder we get because I imagine like there's much more space to laugh at I'm a ready. lot of this stuff you know what I'm saying um, or just be like side-eyeing it not in a contemptuous way but in a side of like what the fuck is happening kind of way and I'm so I'm excited happy that I'm so glad that you all are working together I'm so glad y'all are co-hosting this show you don't even understand like my I am leaping with joy that you know you all have come together like on a show I already love so much where can people find you and your work I mean you can find my work at thisisparker.com and my twitter is aparkisfarce A-P-A-R-K-U-S-F-A-R-C. And Gene, what about you? I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at G-E-E-D-E-215. Um, I still write occasionally essays on the NPR Code Switch on the NPR website. But most of most of my work now is showing up on the Code Switch podcast, which if you're not listening to or subscribe to, you need to get your life Gene and, Parker, and this right has now. been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so glad. So glad we did this. So am I. Thank you for having us. For Colored Nerds was created by me, Eric Eddings, and Brittany Luce. It's supported by a production team at Stitcher, including producer Alexis Williams, story editor Gianna Palmer, social producer Elise Ellis, and engineer Marcus Hom. Our theme music is by Willie Green. And look, y'all, we love hearing from you so, so much. So please shout us out on Instagram at For Colored Nerds, on Twitter at For Colored Nerds. You can find us everywhere at For Colored Nerds. And tell your friends, too, We love it also when we're like, yo, my homie, cousin, best friend told me to listen to this episode and it was bomb. And then I subscribed. That's like my favorite song. So please do your do your friend, do your community a favor and share an episode and tell us which one it was. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with SiriusXM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.